Come on, that's a good video for this weekend. I'm hoping you're having a great Independence Day weekend already. But as that video said, we're here tonight. We're going to celebrate. We got some stuff you might have, it's hard to miss coming in. Some inflatables on the lawn, a food truck. So um, we're having an abbreviated service tonight. Um, I realize I'm the one thing standing between you and one of those delicious hamburgers. So I'm not going to be long-winded, but I am going to preach the word of God. That's never going to change. That's never going to be compromised here. So if you're here tonight and you've got your Bible, maybe you don't. We have Bibles under our pews, or maybe you've got the app on your phone. But we're going to be in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and this is what he says. He says, do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. What's well, a powerful passage because it's telling us to understand the present time and do what's appropriate in light of that. And, and I want to look at this passage tonight and I want to look at uh, the history behind this painting. Now, a lot of us probably recognize this. The painting is called Washington Crosses the Delaware. And one of the reasons we might simply recognize it is because like the, the painting of The Last Supper we talked about weeks ago, that's been kind of remixed by pop culture again and again and again. So is this painting. You Google this, you'll find um, the Avengers crossing the river. You'll find your favorite sports team in the boat crossing the river. You might find this, Darth Vader and a bunch of stormtroopers crossing Tatooine in the same pose. Like we recognize that pose, we recognize that painting because it's been prominent in our pop culture. And it, but the question is, do we know the history as well? Because that was a pivotal time in the Revolutionary War as we celebrate our independence this weekend. It was 20 months after Paul Revere's ride It was in December of 1776, and the Revolutionary Army was a mess. It was in shambles. It was largely in retreat. What many considered to be their their best general, General Charles Lee, he had been captured. So here was General Washington with his men at the Delaware River, and he was left in charge, and he had a couple problems. First problem was that as soon as this river froze, the enemy planned to march right over it, wipe them out, and go south to wipe out the rebel capital. And at that point, it would likely be the end of the war. But his second problem, if you could think of anything worse, is that the people he was leading, they were volunteers, and on December 31st, they could all go home. So the conditions were terrible. Uh, It wasn't exactly uh, the Holiday Inn. They were camped out in the freezing cold. And come December 31st, most of his men could say, all right, I'm going home to my family. It's not worth it. So December 26th, he makes a plan for attack. And his plan was very specific. His plan was to cross these 300 yards of the Delaware River with 18 cannons, his 2,400 men, and horses, and to do it by midnight so that they could organize and they could attack in the dark of night. The only problem was that when they finally went to do this, the weather didn't exactly cooperate. Uh, There was a a bad storm. There was more ice than they thought. So they didn't get across this river until 3 a.m. And it was hours to get from the bank of that river to Trenton where the enemy was. So General Washington, he seriously considered, all right, we got to cancel this. We got to call this off. We got to do something different. But he would write later, I was certain there was no masking a retreat without being discovered. I determined 
to push on. Yet due to the unpreparedness, the utter lack of preparation of the enemy troops, they had a resounding victory. It surprised General Washington so much in the moment, but the enemy surrendered quickly. And although there were triumphs after this that would be in a bigger scale, many historians say this was the turning point of the entire war at a very dark time for the Revolutionary Army. If it failed, a lot of historians say we might not be here as America, the United States of America. And when you look at this plan, the whole plan that General Washington planned, it was, it was drenched in urgency. After December 31st, it was going to be too late. Once the sun had risen and daylight was out, it was going to be too late. They understood the situation. And I want to tie this history, this story, into Romans 13 where it talks about understand the present time. The time has come to wake up. See, while the enemy was asleep, General Washington and his men, they were, they were active. And we remember General Washington's name. We remember this incident in this painting years and years and centuries later. But how many of us know the name of the opposing general from that battle? Yeah, because he was sleepwalking through an important time when he had the advantage and he lost it. And his name was General Raw. General Raw. And, and the reason I hit on him is his failure teaches us some important lessons. There were three strikes against him that, that basically just set him up for failure. The first was this. He didn't set up any barricades or any defense there against reason, somebody came to him, a spy, and said, hey, you're going to be attacked. And he said, let them come. What defense? We'll charge them with our bayonets. Just this kind of blind arrogance that, hey, we have the upper hand. There's no way that we could lose. And the second strike we see against him was he, didn't, he had no discipline. Spies that spied on General Rawl would say that when his superiors were gone, he would give himself to drunkenness. He would give himself to just relaxing when the people that were over him weren't there. And you know, he's a leader. That's probably the tone he set for that whole camp. And, and then lastly, not only was there no barricades, no discipline, but it was an isolated camp. This camp was a day's march from anybody that could help them. So bottom line, he was set up to fail. And I want to go some of this and tie this in because a lot of times we can go about our Christian walk, but we've set ourselves up for failure because we haven't checked all the boxes God's called us to, the disciplines he wants active in our life. Maybe you've had conversations with people who are like, yeah, I tried the Jesus thing, really wasn't for me. I tried church, it really didn't, didn't work for me. And Sometimes for those people trying Jesus is, well, I started Genesis uh, and I read the first few chapters, I prayed a few times, and after a week, I really didn't sense anything different. Or Trying out church was going to church for four weeks on a weekend, but never investing beyond that. Just that one hour, hour and a half on the weekend, and after a while, didn't really, any, nothing really worked for me. And th those are extreme examples. But maybe you've been in church for years and you feel dry. Maybe you've been in church for years and you feel like you're not making the progress you should. And maybe it's because from the start, we've set ourselves up for failure. You know, at City Life, we talk about the 12 pathways. What are the 12 pathways? It's, it's just a term for the 12 disciplines we celebrate in our discipleship model. When you're following Christ, we just believe that you'll walk in these 12 pathways. You'll walk in these 12 disciplines. And if, you're, if you want to dig deep, tonight is an abbreviated service, but we just came out of a whole series where we looked at each pathway each week. And you can find those online. But tonight, I want to look at how we had to have all of these active. If we want to walk in the life and the victory that Jesus Christ has for us, then we got to walk in all of them because there's the fuel for discipleship. There's the, the 
context of discipleship. And when you're walking in, in those two, there should be an overflow to your discipleship. If you're going to walk in victory, you need all of these functioning. It, it says, as Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 7, he says, discipline yourself for the purpose of holiness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of holiness. And, and the first, again, is just this fuel for discipleship. The pathways we would speak of being scripture, prayer, fasting, worship, and rest. You know, the same way that we need food, you could say you need these disciplines active in your life. In the same way that I can't tell you if you asked me what I had for lunch last Tuesday, I wouldn't be able to remember that. And I might not be able to remember what I read last Tuesday morning in my Bible or prayed for. But in the same way that that food got me through Tuesday, so did the word of God and that prayer got me through that day. And you know, Raj, he's here tonight. He's 20 months old. We just adopted him and and, and he's still, we're feeding him. And I love that. I enjoy that. I, I think it's enjoyable to sit there and feed my son. And I think it's hilarious. He's slowly learning to use the spoon and, and he'll get it. And he's good here. But then as he's bringing it to his mouth, it like turns sideways. By the time it's over his lap, it's all falling on his lap. And by the time it gets to his mouth, he's just chewing on the spoon, this plastic spoon. I think that's hilarious. I think it's cute. But you know when that's not going to be cute? It's when he's 15, 16 years old trying to find a prom date, right? At some point. He's got to learn how to feed himself. And it's the same spiritually. We can't just be satisfied being spoon-fed by our, our pastor, our leader, our parent. At some point, it's got to become a personal journey where you're feeding yourself in these ways. Because there will be seasons where you feel isolated. Like, no doubt, General Washington felt isolated with these men at the Delaware River. Or, or uh, Daniel in Babylon or Joseph in Egypt where it was the grace of God and these disciplines that got them through. And there might be seasons in your life where you're going into deployment, or there might be seasons in your life where you've moved somewhere, you've just arrived, where you're more isolated than you'd like to be, but it's the grace of God and these disciplines that get you through those seasons. But we're, we're never to take those seasons of isolation and make them a permanent situation. Because spiritually, isolation is just a setup for, for devastation. You look at General Rawl in this isolated camp. It wasn't the best setup. You know, Proverbs 18.1, it says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. You know, there's fuel for discipleship and growth, but you got to be in the right context for it to grow. Just like a seed that you plant, sometimes it's got to be just the right climate, just the right situation for that to take root. And all of these things in our life, it should happen in the community of faith. Talk about relationship with others. You talk about gathering, coming together in moments like this, and you talk about accountability, which comes from things like life groups and stepping into a room with somebody and just being real. If our expectation for the future is, is maximum spiritual growth, then our goal should be to get rooted in community. Relationships rooted in gathering together, relationships that are rooted in accountability. Because I realized at some point in my life that surrounding myself with people of different levels of knowledge, it helps me grow in wisdom personally. Surrounding myself with people of different backgrounds and different life experiences, that helps me to grow in understanding, that helps me to grow in empathy. You know, surrounding myself with people who can tell me no and that gives me pause, who can hold me accountable and hold me in check, that helps me grow past my blind spots. All of these things, they happen in the right context of community. Romans 8 in the message version says, those who think that they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. You know, to exercise these days, I like to run a little bit 
But my brother, he loves cycling. Like Lance Armstrong, Tour de France cycling. I believe that's going on right now. And uh, he got a full ride to college for it, so he was serious. And he would tell me, like, yeah, you draft off of people. And you got to understand, my brother is my same weight, but he's like 6'4", so he's a beanpole. I'm like, there's no way I get behind you on a bike, and that's going to help, like, break up the wind. I understand with cars and being behind an 18-wheeler on the highway, but there's no way your scrawny little butt is going to break the wind enough for me to feel a difference. And then I went out with him. And he would go out with these groups of, like, 30 cyclists on a Saturday. And I went with them. And you're in the group, and you're just biking along. And like, I got this. But there's people at the front, and they take turns. You know, you wiggle your elbow when you're done, and you go back to the back. And when I got to the front, it was like somebody put a parachute on my back, threw me in a wind tunnel, and gave me two flat tires. It was remarkable that when you're trying to break wind on your own, your effort had to increase a hundredfold, it felt. And in the same way, if we want to run the race God's given us well— and not be dead, tired, and broken at the end. It makes sense to pull up with people who are like-minded and headed in the same direction and do life with them. And gathering like this, that's a part of it, and it's great. But come on, we do things like life groups. So again, you can step into a room with somebody and just be real and step into moments of, of just knowing people on a deeper level than on a 90-minute service on a weekend. And maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, well, I don't even know that I want to put down roots here than something like Discovering City Life over the next couple weekends, July, June, whatever month we're in, the 8th and the 15th at the Nowatney's house, these next couple weekends. We're coming together, really, like they said, eat food, hang out, get to know each other, and then get to know a little more about the church. But there's a community, again, whether it's here or elsewhere, you're called to do discipleship in. That, that you do these things together, all those one another's, the dozens upon dozens in the New Testament, those are hard to do when you're doing life on your own. Our command to love is kind of hard to do when you're doing life on your own. But when you're, you're consuming the fuel for discipleship in the right context, there should be an overflow. And when you talk about the overflow, you're talking the pathways of reaching, which is evangelism, serving, generosity, and stewardship. Paul said in his letter, In 1 Thessalonians 3.12, he said, May the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow. And I love that he's writing this to a church. And he says, I hope that your love for one another grows and overflows. But then he he throws this add on it. And for all people, for the people outside of the four walls of your church, for the people in your community that God's called you to love on. See, General Rawls, his idea of camping is what some would call glamping, right? Glamorous camping. He set up shop, and he got to eat, drinking, and being merry. But we don't set up camp as a church. We weren't called here to plant here in Suffolk just for fun, just to have our own personal comfort and place to come together. We're here on mission to keep our eyes on the front lines. And what's the front lines for us as a church? It's the harvest. It's the people that God wants to reach that are disconnected from the church, that are disconnected from the life that he offers. And we can't ever get so caught up in our personal sanctification as a church that we forget our great commission as a church. I love that this passage in Romans 13, it starts with do this. Maybe if you had your Bible open, you're like, what's this? And you look back and he had just talked about love, just talked about loving your neighbor and just talked about loving the people that God's put around you. Because love asks, love asks, what can I give? Love shifts your focus from me, 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 myself and I to those that God has placed around us. We've said it a million times here, when your faith is solely inward focused, then it's out of focus. And love helps shift our focus from just this me mentality to what can I do as an overflow of my love for God for those that are around me. We said last week, God's will for me, it never ends with me. 
And you look at this, this crossing of the Delaware River, a cool fact, that General Washington, this, these boats, the men that he was leading, it was loaded with men who would be prominent figures in American history. Future President James Monroe, future Chief Justice John Marshall, future Vice President Aaron Burr, and this future Secretary of Treasury Alexander Hamilton, all in this ragtag group of soldiers that he was leading. You know, when you step into the overflow of discipleship and start investing in other people's lives and reaching out and being generous and serving, you never know the effect that you can have. Well, there's not just the fuel of discipleship and, and the, the right context, but you actually start to walk in the overflow of, of the Holy Spirit giving us boldness to serve, reach out, and, and do these things. And you know, I was reading through Corinthians over the past couple of weeks, and something that the Holy Spirit really impressed on my heart is, is just three simple words, run to win. Run to win. Again, I like to run. And sometimes I, I always push Raj now. He's a... Uh, the gift and the curse, pushing him in the stroller as I'm running. But I might go out for a run, and my whole goal is just I'm going to go out and run. I don't care about how fast I'm running. I don't care about time, none of that. I just want to get out, get my heart rate up, have, have some time with Raj and free stuff up at the house. Can I get an amen from the wives? <laughs> so there's other times, though, I'm competitive. And when you run, you're not really, I'm not competing with anybody can't beat Raj. He's in front of me. So I'll compete with what was my time last time I ran? What's the best time this month? To me, when I go out for a run, that's, that's running to win. I can go out for like a jog where I'm just tuned out or I can focus and say, I, I want to beat a certain time. And what's the question for us is, well, what's a win for us? A win for me when I'm going out running, I just want to beat last week's time. I want to beat last month's time. But what's a win for us as a church following God, being disciples of Jesus Christ? Is these things the fuel of discipleship within the context of discipleship, resulting in the overflow of discipleship and growth as we have an impact where God's put us on the people around us? Again, this is a quick hitter tonight. But if you would say, I, I want to dig deeper into each one of those, again, we just got out of a series called Rethink Church where we rethought each one of these pathways. And come on, in these weeks to come, we're going to uh, be in a series, all right, what does this look like, this following Jesus, walking in these pathways in our current culture? We're just going to call it your cell, your soul, eternal wisdom for a smartphone age. It's going to be our summer. I'm excited for it. You might say, why well, save all your best content for the summer when people are traveling? Proverbs 10 says, hey, those that harvest in the summer are wise. So I believe that we're going to see a harvest and some fruit this summer as we go through that series. But tonight as we close, and come on, we go out there, the burgers are ready, the inflatables are ready. I just want to pray for all of us. Because I know when I, when I preach, I want to be walking in these things. But you look at these 12 pathways, there's areas I know I need to grow. And I know for all of us, when we look at these 12 pathways, man, maybe it's the, the personal devotion just hasn't been there. It's gotten busy. Haven't been spending your time in word or in prayer like you normally would. Maybe it's you're totally disconnected from community or relationship or, again, accountability. People who can say, hey, what about this, this blind spot or that blind spot? Or maybe lastly, it's just those, those, those pathways and those disciplines that go outside these four walls of the church, go outside these four walls of our house, and start to walk in that great commission. But I just want to pray for each one of us because God cares. God cares about the things that are holding us back, whether it's doubt or self-doubt or, or whatever the growth we need. But God, through his word, through his spirit, can do just that. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you for each person here tonight. God, I thank you that we all, God, would say that we're following you, 
But God, I pray that we would set ourselves up for success, God, by walking the path you've given us and walking us these pathways as you've laid them before us in your word. And God, I pray that, God, as, as we dig into your word for ourselves and we, we take this worship on a weekend and weave it into our Sundays, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, that you would meet us there. God, that you would challenge us to step outside of just me, myself, and I and, and get rooted in relationship, get rooted in accountability. And then even beyond that, God, pursue moments of generosity and service and, God, moments of evangelism for those people you've placed around us, God. We want our faith to grow and bear fruit in the ways that you would have it for us. God, so we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that no abbreviated service can keep what you want done in our lives from doing what we submit to you in obedience, Lord God. So we just ask that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And just practically, come on, we had an abbreviated worship and time in the word, but when we go outside, we can step into the context of discipleship. Maybe there's people here you've seen but you don't have a relationship with. Let's go eat burgers together. Maybe it's the overflow where there's going to be people out there that weren't here in service that came because there's inflatables and food. Let's connect with them, reach out to them. But come on, let's have some fun, all right? We got ushers that are going to help us out these doors, out to your right when you stand up and go out. But come on, let's have some fun. I'll see you guys in a couple minutes. Let's fellowship and eat together.